0: Good morning. Today is Thursday, September 14th, and I'm Grace's dad, Scott Shera. Today, we are going to begin a seven-part series titled, Medical Murder is the Number One Cause of Death in the United States by Design. And the subtitle is, People are Too Expensive, Satan's Big Lie. Well, think about it. If Satan is successful at selling this lie, what we are see, seeing happening fits like a glove. This project is a combination of thousands of hours of research since grace's death for those of you who have been following our story you know i become a full-time advocate when i'm not sharing the story on multiple platforms i'm working with the legal team on our lawsuit with the balance and the lion's share of my time researching this project can hopefully be used for god's glory to wake people up the seven parts follow the way we should investigate to find the truth so the first one today is who next time we'll do what then where, why, when, how, and now what. So that makes up the seven part series. I hope you enjoy it. The detailed research will be posted at ouramazinggrace.net. Each of these monocasts is designed to just give you a taste and hopefully motivate you to dig further so that you can find the truth. So thanks for joining me today. All right, Don, you can bring up the introductory slide, which I just covered. So today, who? They're all in on it, and you're going to see this is a wide range of uh, individuals and segments of our population who are in on this agenda. All right, let's go to the next slide. Slide two. So we've been programmed to believe lies from all sides and angles, and you're going to see this throughout the seven-part series. Let's go to the next slide. This first series lies go through the historical facts. So it's common medical malpractice was the third leading cause of death pre COVID. And in terms of numbers, 700,000 people in the United States a year die of heart disease, 600,000 from cancer and 400,000 from medical malpractice. You see, I put malpractice in quotes because as I've been investigating, I don't see it as malpractice anymore. I see it as medical murder. Now we jump into the current facts, so this is the COVID era and now post-COVID, we're seeing an all-cause mortality increase of 24% in the vaccinated population. And you see my source there. And then the all-cause mortality is graphed out. I really like this Our World, or, uh, Our World Data site. And Don, can you bring up that graph, that link? So this is the all-cause mortality. This is, These are the deaths above the norm, weekly starting January 5th of 2020 uh, through May 21st of 2023. This is updated regularly, so you can find, that link is, is here, you can check it, but you can see there's a steady now, leveled out increase of all-cause mortality above the norm of 8%, which is about an extra 230,000 deaths per year permanently assuming that trend doesn't keep going up as more people die from getting the jab. All right, let's go to the next slide, Don. Okay, so the first culprits, of course, is the medical industrial complex, which we'd expect. We can go to the next slide. Now, again, I want to just reference I'm just giving you a taste. So there are so many things that I've drilled down in the the outline of the detailed research again will be at ouramazinggrace.net, but this gives you a taste of what's going on. United Health Group is the largest medical um, player in the in the United States, and they are the eleventh largest company in the entire world. Now, think through what they sold us with COVID. You know the hospitals aren't going to make any money, so we've got to incentivize the hospitals. We find out that in fact they incentivize the hospitals to facilitate medical murder. In this case, this company's stock price went from $215 before COVID to $521 the day that COVID was announced to be over on April 10th. That meant their value went from a $200 billion company to a half a trillion dollar company just because of COVID. All right, we'll go to the next slide, Don. All right. So this this slide is is quite interesting. You see that your family practitioner is also in on it. Surprisingly, uh, a lot of these family practitioners are in the dark. We met a couple of weeks ago Grace's original pediatrician at an event that we were at and he didn't know Grace had died yet. He had no clue about Remdesivir being used to kill people. I was surprised at how much in the dark he was, but he's a family practitioner. He fits into this group. So this one is an incentive provided uh, by Blue Cross to their family practitioners and their pediatrician. So the average amount of patients that a family practitioner has is about 2,500. They make about $250,000 a year in salary. In the last quarter of 2021, they were incentivized to get their patient population jabbed, and if they were able to convince 75% of their patients in that last quarter of 2021 to get the jab, they would have made almost $300,000 as a quarterly bonus. All right, we'll keep going, Don. So, All right, this one, I think, yeah, I'm gonna be playing a clip here. So this one is, you think about hospice care. So hospice care would be the people that we would think, well, these are the nice people, they help people with end of life. What's interesting, if you look at the numbers, the number of people dying in hospice care has more than doubled just in a four-year period from 2011 to 2015. And so you dig in, what's the reason? And surprisingly, even the mainstream media came out and discussed what the reason is. So, Diane, can you play that NBC News clip, please?
1: Doctors put her on a ventilator and into a coma. But after kidney failure and a series of mini strokes common in COVID, about a month after her admission, staff began urging her mother, Alma Salas, to transfer her daughter to end-of-life care and let her die. I felt like he was trying to pressure me. Hey, do you really want to live your life taking care of your daughter in a vegetative state for the next 30 years? I just looked at him and I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm not going to let her go. Another time, she says, six or seven HCA staff members gathered at her daughter's bedside, urging her to end her treatment. One nurse, Alice says, was very aggressive and came in repeatedly. She got really angry. I was, like, taken aback. The pressure Salas describes exists at some of HCA's other 170 plus hospitals. Staff are pressed to get patients into hospice where life-saving treatments are withdrawn and the incentive is not necessarily patient care but the improvement of hospital performance metrics. This according to six nurses and 27 doctors who've practiced at 16 HCA facilities in seven states and who spoke to NBC News because if a patient dies in hospice, even in the same hospital bed, their death will not be counted in the hospital's mortality statistics, a key factor used by those who rate hospital quality. And the better the rating, the better for business.
0: Okay, so I wanna make sure everybody knows this PowerPoint presentation will be in the show notes. You don't have to take screenshots, every link you'll be able to, Uh, Look at the details here and then a reminder that the entire research outline, which is many, many pages long, will be at OurAmazingGrace.net. All right, so when you have the mainstream media calling out the sin, you know it's it's bad. I mean, I was shocked when I saw that on NBC News. We'll go to the conclusion slide for the medical industrial complex, Don. Next slide. All right, so the conclusion, hospitals. Doctors and nurses are incentivized directly and indirectly. Indirectly would be they have a gun to their head for following protocols, otherwise they'll be fired, to hasten death. Hastening death is murder. If you end up somebody's life prematurely, that is murder. Remember the claim I'm making here is medical murder is the number one cause of death in the United States. It's not number three, it is number one by miles. And when you look at all the facts I'm gonna present, this first series is the most, the seventh of the series is most important because it's it's the now what? What are we gonna do about all this? But the first six are to expose this evil to show beyond a shadow of a doubt, medical murder is the number one cause of death in the United States. All right, let's go to the next nefarious group what you'd expect, of course, the federal government. All right, we'll go to the next slide then, Don. All right, so the federal government has a number of of players that are involved with this decision to kill us. Uh, The most notably, of course, is the CDC because they promote, promote the vaccine narrative. You know, you can't make this stuff up. No vaccine's ever been tested. The vaccine manufacturers have immunity from liability, and yet the CDC promotes the the safety of vaccines. And the newest uh, supposed vaccine, which is really a bioweapon, is coming out for the next round of COVID for this fall. I mean, it's coming out this week. Anyway, what's the truth about vaccines? And this is about a 22 minute video. We're just gonna play a couple minute clip here to get people in the mindset as to what is really going on. So Don, go ahead and play the the children's health defense clip, please.
2: People who get vaccinated can shed viruses. Therefore, they do not always make our communities safer. Do vaccines deserve the credit for reducing contagious diseases? The answer is no. Here are some diseases that vaccines supposedly prevented Notice how all the lines tend to move in the same downward direction. Now, here's when the vaccines were introduced for diphtheria, whooping cough, polio, and measles. What about scarlet fever and typhoid? They also went down at about the same rate. Well, we never had a vaccine for those two. Looking at the data, what do you think is really going on here? Why were all these diseases declining long before vaccines? The answer is obvious when we overlay this data line. It represents something very simple. This line shows the rate of Americans without indoor plumbing in their home. Clean water. Clean water made the difference because filth is actually the main cause of all these diseases. So in the 1900s, when more and more people got clean running water, private toilet facilities, baths, and better sanitation, guess what happened? Contagious diseases literally went down the drain. You can say it's a coincidence, but think about poor parts of India or Africa. There's poverty, crowded conditions, poor water quality, no indoor plumbing, and bad sanitation. And what else do they have? All those diseases that we used to have. Vaccines get the credit for health improvements, but honestly, the credit should probably go to plumbers and engineers they made the difference.
0: Well, I really liked that video. Uh, I, I think it, it tells the story in a couple minutes better than than I could. You know, we thankfully hadn't uh, rejected the vaccine agenda when our two older kids were young, because of being exposed to the truth back then. So Grace, as I've shared many times, was never vaccinated with anything. And I think that's part of the reason she was so high functioning. All right, we'll go to the next slide, Don. So some of you have seen this slide before. The numbers don't lie. So this is the 39 month COVID era numbers. We had hospital deaths of 1.2 million in the United States which that number has to be framed for people to understand it. So we were number one in the entire world of all 200 countries. Number two was India with a population of four times that of the United States and less than 50% equivalent deaths in hospitals. So that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. However, the United States, as you're going to find out, we had to lead the way with this whole um, satanic, agenda, which we'll cover in a later in in one of the later um, monocasts. But the hospital deaths are one thing. So we lost 1.2 million Americans during the COVID era on purpose, because they wanted to set up the vaccine agenda, so that once the dialectic was in place, we have the problem, this lie about the pandemic, the reaction the fear, so they needed the numbers up for hospital deaths to create this fear and panic in the population. So then the population would fall for the bioweapon, which the Brooke Jackson case obviously exposed, which I've covered before. It'll also be in the detailed research. So then the population ran out of fear for a cure. And this quote, cure, end quote, is the bioweapon that they lie and call a safe and effective vaccine. All right, let's go to the next slide, Don. This might be the most important slide in in this piece because the federal government is responsible um, for the Medicare and Medicaid bureaucracy and they have used that bureaucracy to set up the collectivism lie. So collectivism means for the good of the population versus the good of the individual. So when we see a, a system like this, where up to 135 million Americans are covered by it, it represents over 50% of the annual federal budget. So they are clamoring to figure out how to cut costs. Well, the of course, the biggest issue uh, or opportunity, I should say, of cutting costs is to eliminate the people on the program, which the elderly and the disabled were the number one and number two causes of death, which of course, those are not causes. Uh, during the COVID era. So number one out of the 1.2 million Americans who were murdered in hospitals in the 39-month COVID era were the elderly, and number two were the disabled, which, of course, grace fit into that, that case. So I want you to just think this through. You know, We are told that once we're 65, we can get this free health insurance. And so we think we, we hit triple sevens on the on the slot machine and won the lottery. Yet we paid for that our entire life through payroll deduction. So now we've got this supposed free health insurance and it's really free death insurance because if you walk through how they pull this off, we've got the doctors programmed to follow the protocols from the CMS. We have the population programmed that we got this we've got this free health care so now the person turns 65 he or she gets cancer goes into the doctor and the doctor diagnoses the cancer and he says the good news is i can get you in for your chemo and radiation treatment next week and the unsuspecting person says well does my insurance cover it because that's all they care about they're not even thinking about the reality that cancer has been cured. And so the doctor puts his arm around them and says, good news, your insurance cover this covers this, and they sign their death certificate that day because chemo and radiation only have a 3% success rate. They don't want us to know cancer has been cured. In fact, if you decide to reject their script and go get a can- a real cancer cure that cure is not covered. You have to pay for that out of your own pocket. So the whole system is designed to hasten your death. All right, we'll go to the next slide, Don. All right. So the conclusion for the federal government's involvement is Medicare and Medicaid were put in place much like the American Cancer Society, making it look like the government is taking care of the disabled and elderly. So, of course, it's a complete lie. Now, I talked about this during an interview that I had with Children's Health Defense, and so Don's gonna play this clip right now because I think it does a a good job of summarizing the situation. Go ahead. Turning back to you, Scott, uh, Gail mentioned something a few moments ago about her unvaccinated status being a significant factor in the treatment she received at the hospital. Uh, Grace was unvaccinated as well. Do you believe that and other factors played a role in the way she was treated? I do believe that a number of things played a role. I mean, the unvaccinated status was documented uh, a number of different times. The most infamous is the first day, the doctor who was the COVID expert on the floor of course we don't know this in real time we get the reports when we get her records but his first day report that he wrote on grace and he's the covid expert his final comment in that report said that i believe the patient would not be here if she was fully vaccinated mm-hmm. so you can see there was a bias you know what because grace had down syndrome that that uh, took me on some paths that you wouldn't normally go on but i've uncovered things that are shocking so i would say more importantly as far as what the bias was was towards grace's down syndrome in the 22 doctors reports that were written in the seven days grace was in the hospital they referenced that she had down syndrome 36 different times so you know, when you hear that on the face, you think, well, how does Down syndrome change the standard of care? That would be the equivalent, Michael, of saying, well, if, if I'm in the hospital, that he has gray hair 36 different times. Mm-hmm. The standard of care shouldn't change, but you would see if you saw that 36 different times, you'd say, well, boy, they have a bias towards people with gray hair. Well, the bias towards Grace's Down syndrome, uh, I started to research after I realized that Grace. It wasn't just killed this when you're talking about what happened to Grace and what Gail went through they're hastening death. So hastening death equals murder. When you choose when the doctors play God and choose to end somebody's life early, that becomes murder. It's not medical malpractice. It's not medical negligence. What's all those have become acceptable terms in our country. It's not acceptable. We're sharing these stories because you can see by these stories, it isn't negligence. It isn't an accident. They're doing this on purpose. So as it applies to grace and down syndrome, I went on the followed the rabbit hole into genocide and World War II and saw, oh my gosh, this is is very serious. They're taking out the elderly and the disabled populations as targets under the guise that these population groups through Medicare and Medicaid are a substantial cost to the taxpayer. So the budget has to be balanced and we've got to implement protocols that manage this care. So they call it manage, but it really is rationing care. So the when I uncovered this in Obamacare that the ration care policy is embedded in Obamacare, that, took me to down syndrome. And what I found out is that there are training documents written for how to treat down syndrome patients once they get into a hospital setting and the training documents specifically say so just to frame the time frame obamacare was passed march 23rd of 2010 the training document written for down syndrome that i found it was written in 2011. so it's how you implement a protocol and they lay out very specifically that we need to the medical professions they need to be the white horse that comes in and saves the family from this nasty disability that this person has. This person with Down syndrome is a burden on their family, and we've got to come in and save the family from that burden. So we need to make choices for that Down syndrome person. We know through the records and through all the research that I've done that, in fact, the choices they're making are to end a life prematurely. All right, uh, thank you for that, Don. We're gonna go to the next slide and I wanna show what happens when the federal government gets in bed with the medical industrial complex. I'm just gonna hit a couple of points on the slide, but then I wanna focus on the red column. So on way on the right is the good old days, the green column when people realized God was in charge of their health, they were healthy. The only time they got a doctor involved was when they needed to, bandage an open wound or set a broken bone. Now we flip to today, we bought into the idea that the medical system is an idol and they're going to take care of us. So the old way, which was pre-COVID, was the Center for Medicaid Services and insurance companies set the standards of care. So I went through an example of that relative to cancer before we just listened to the video. And then in a hospital setting, the hospitals or doctors would implement these standards of care The nurse at that point was the last line of defense. She was still an advocate for the patient, but these protocols still hasten death. They sped up our death. And I'll tell you a a quick story because it's important. Six and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with heart disease and I didn't understand why because I was healthy. So it didn't make any sense. So they were prescribing a statin because they told me that my cholesterol being over 300 was the cause of the heart disease. So I chose to not take it. And I started digging and I found out that cholesterol isn't even in the top 10 of causes for heart disease so I, I started a protocol to reverse my heart disease well this shows when the nurses were still an advocate the nurse for the the primary care physician pulled me aside and said scott i want to tell you something you're not going to want to hear i said well, what is it and she said the reason we're pushing the statin on you is because we have to i said what do you mean you have to she said well we accept medicare and medicaid now keep in mind I was not on any program we had at that point, we had private insurance. Now we don't have any insurance, but we had private insurance at that point. So I didn't get it. So she said, well, the Medicare and Medicaid sets the standards of care and our reimbursement rates from Medicare and Medicaid are determined based on what percentage of our entire patient population we get to follow their protocols. And if people like you don't follow them, we have to. Fire you from our client base because we've got to get our percentages up in order to get the reimbursement rates that we want because we accept Medicare and Medicaid. So you can see this is this has been going on for a long time. Well, then COVID implemented the new way, and now we're a whisker away from the red column, which now they're directly killing us. The emergency use authorization specifically for remdesivir, which had a 75% kill rate still does and ventilators, which have a 90% kill rate. Those were implemented to directly kill people and newsflash on May 11th, the FDA announced that those protocols are still in place today. And they're still incentivized. My son-in-law's mother went into a hospital two months ago in Tennessee. She was just dehydrated. and almost immediately upon getting in the room they started wanting to put her on a ventilator thankfully he's woken up he educated the family said we got a guard mom uh, because they're going to try to kill her with this ventilator so they they rejected it and you know she got she's home and is recovering now because they were awake to the idea that the FDA through the emergency use authorization protocols is still trying to directly kill people so where does this go so um i put this red column together god got me up about a month ago at one o'clock in the morning and so then you start emailing yourself so you don't forget and the future of course is the world health organization wants to control the entire population when they make up pandemics and then our esg our social credit score will be part of a worldwide database along with our birth certificate value. So then we have AI determining a customized standard of care for each person in the population. So then our death date is no longer determined by God, realize God overrides everything. So God knew about AI, he knows about everything, but our death date in that system is now determined by AI versus uh, what should be where we have a medical profession who cares about their patients. All right, we'll go to the next nefarious group, Don, which is our state legislation, our state legislators. All right, we'll go to the next slide then. And for those of you who are, I know you're going to be familiar with this next slide uh, because it is the Stella Liebeck case. Don, can you get that slide up, please? All right, so Stella Liebeck from 1992. I want you to make an opinion of of this situation before I tell you the truth. Uh, so she was the 79 year old lady who spilled coffee on her lap, and I know I had an attitude toward her, just like I'm sure you have, until I learned the truth. So Don, can you play the short clip, please?
1: In Albuquerque, New Mexico, an elderly woman was severely burned when she spilled a cup of McDonald's coffee in her lap. An 81-year-old woman has been awarded $2.9 million after she sued McDonald's, claiming their coffee was too hot.
3: Stella Liebeck spilled just eight ounces of coffee, but she attracted a flood of attention. The jury's awards set off a media frenzy and became a rallying cry for those who believed our legal system had run amok.
1: I think it's absurd.
3: But as her story cycled through newspaper headlines, talk show storylines, and late-night punchlines, one thing was lost. The facts.
0: Pardon,
1: Pardon. me. Excuse us.
3: Oh! got a chance? <laughs> Do we have a chance? You get me one coffee drinker on that jury, you gonna walk out of there a rich man. <laughs> Stella's daughter says that although over the years some stories have given greater context and a new perspective, such as the documentary Hot Coffee, her family is still haunted by a perception that doesn't seem to go away.
0: Plasma getting bigger, getting smaller, spill a cup of coffee, make a
3: million dollars. Very hot issue for a long time. It's probably one of the most sensational, high profile. Tort cases uh, of the last 20 years. So when tort reform comes up, most people say, Oh, you sure the McDonald's case? Republican lawmakers crafting the contract with America seized the moment. They tapped into public outrage over frivolous lawsuits to promote the Common Sense Legal Reform Act. Liebeck's case became Exhibit A. A lady goes through a fast food restaurant, puts coffee in her lap, burns her her legs sues and gets a big settlement.
0: That in and of, it, of itself is enough to tell you why we need to have tort reform. So I, this whole video is only 12 minutes long. I'm not going to drill it down here. You can look at that yourself, but let's go to the next slide, Dom, because this is, is real time happening. So the next slide, this is Wisconsin state statute 448.30. So this is what tort reform looks like. Many people ask me now that we have a lawsuit, how did you even pull this off? And it, it's it's quite a story to think through how it's even possible. God opened up door after door after door, but ultimately we're funding our own case. We have the first jury trial in the entire country. That doesn't make any sense. With 1.2 million Americans who have been murdered in hospitals, how can there only be one case with a jury trial? It doesn't make any sense until you start looking at how the state legislatures were involved to set this all up way ahead of time. So in this case, this is the informed consent statute. You can read it yourself. I have the detail there, but you know, ultimately informed consent means that the doctor is supposed to inform you of everything relative to anything that they're going to do to you and then without a gun to your head, get your consent. All right. So then you think, well, that's a that's a good law, Scott. Yeah, it is. It's a great law. It, it, you shouldn't even have to have it as a law because it's common sense, but it is a law. But you look at the detail and you see there's no teeth to it. In fact, the enforcement of this law is by the Medical Examining Board, which has 13 members, 10 of which are physicians. And you know, strangely, there's a state statute that it doesn't, or it says that physicians don't have to testify against other physicians. Uh, anyway, I want to go to the next slide to connect the dots then. So then what happens when there's, when you have this type of thing happen? Well, we filed a complaint with the Department of Safety and Professional Services. And you can see by this letterhead, this is one of the things that happened as a result of that complaint, because the doctor, through virtually zero informed consent, put in an- illegal do not resuscitate order on grace. So here we've got the state statute that should be in our favor, but remember it doesn't have any teeth. So now the charge, which their arm is the Department of Safety and Professional Services, issues us an email. Actually, this was issued to an investigative reporter that couldn't believe what I was telling him. And you see what they write. They say chapter 154, which is the DNR statute in Wisconsin, of the Wisconsin statutes does not apply to physicians operating in a hospital non-emergency room setting, such as the one in question. So they're telling the entire population of Wisconsin that if you are in a hospital room, non-emergency room setting, the doctor can put a DNR on you unilaterally anytime. This This is the implementation of the statute. So you can see a statute with no teeth and then it gets even worse because, You can have doctors unilaterally make hastening death decisions, which is murder, and there's no obligation to make it right. So that's, you know, obviously we're going to court over this as one of the five complaints is regarding this illegal DNR. But I want to show it because this is what happens. They sell Propaganda. The Republicans used the Stella Liebeck case to create a propaganda campaign that we need tort reform. Well, tort reform is not helping us. And you'll see that in my closing slide here. So what's the conclusion? I'm going to read this. Go ahead, Don. You can go to the next slide. Legislation has become another satanic dialectic to trick us to thinking we can use man's way to fix things. We cannot contract morality we have a god problem not a legal problem article 1 section 12 of our state constitution says no ex post facto law can be passed no statute can be made over the contract the legislators swore to abide by so the legislator the legislature cannot write a law allowing immunity for doctors from harming people or taking the rights of the people out of their hands by writing procedures or immunities to protect the medical community from being held accountable this system The way they did not supposed to write these laws, you can see they do write the laws. This system cannot protect the American people and was not designed to do so. All right, we'll go to the next group of culprits here, Don, big business. All right. So I want to read a quote from David Rockefeller on the next slide. So he, he said this quote, some even believe we. The Rockefeller family are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global, political and economic structure, one world, if you will, if that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. So this is big business folks, they're in bed with the government. Let's go to the next slide, Don. All right, so what COVID did for me, and I know it did for a lot of people, it exposed the agenda of big corporations doing the government's bidding. So let's play the clip by Catherine Austin Fitz. She is the former assistant uh, director of housing and urban development. So she's a government insider and she's starting to shed or spread truth. Go ahead.
4: By injecting money into the investors, you want to do all these different things you want them to be able to buy cheap and if you basically slaughter the economy of the people you want wiped out then they're able to take the money you've injected and and buy everything up cheap so it's a way of setting up winners and losers you print money and give it to your pals and then you use the healthcare system to destroy the businesses of the people that you want you know your pals to get the market share away from or pick up the assets from cheap
0: Let's now talk about the various restrictions that we saw during the COVID crisis at the heat of it really in 2020 and 2021. Of course, we saw many businesses having to close and that was primarily small businesses while these larger corporations were able to stay open. How did the lockdown policies contribute or help advance the overall goals of centralization?
4: Well, let's look at a shopping mall. And I, I think I told you, Rick Santelli had an amazing interaction on corporate media. Somebody sent me the playback on, I guess they had it up on the internet. So he's having a fight with Andrew Sorkin and he's saying, why is Costco open when you know little small businesses right next door are closed because of the lockdowns? So you know if it's not safe, If you're not safe from COVID in the store next door, how can you possibly be safe with hundreds of people in Costco and in the parking lot, you know, and Sorkin kept saying, well, that's science. It's science that you're not safe in the small business, but you are safe in Costco. Now let's look at what happens. You know, if, if the market share of the businesses around Costco, instead of shopping there, you go to Costco, Costco's revenues and profits go up, which means their stock, goes up. So so these companies are picking up market share. They're picking up great employees who've lost their job at the small business. You So you pick up talent, you pick up revenues, you pick up income, and your stock price goes up, which means the investors, both the management and the investors, you know, do well. All at the cost of these other businesses that are, you know, temporarily or permanently wiped out. Now, we saw subsidies go in part to them, but often from debt that, you know, in, in most cases had to be paid back as far as I know. So so you're talking about picking winners and losers by the Fed directly injecting money, but then combining it with the health care plans.
0: All right, let's go to the next couple of slides. I want to show a player that I would not have thought would be involved in this because I showed you the all cause mortality increases earlier and life insurance companies are the ones hit by that reality. So a life insurance company, when you have an all cause mortality increase, like has been exposed with COVID, these companies would go out of business. I mean, they're working through actuaries predicting death dates for various segments of the population based on health conditions. And if they have that many more people die, it'll bankrupt the life insurance company. So, you know, you would expect, and we'll go to the next page here, quick, Don, you can study these pages on your own. Again, the links will be in the show notes, but at the bottom of the next page, I have a note, see actual life insurance application from February of 2023. And that'll be in the, our amazing grace link um, when that's up on the website. So this happened, one of our guys in our business, we put a key man life insurance policy on him in February of 2023. So I was expecting when I signed the, signed the policy as the owner, I was expecting that they would have a question about his vaccination status relative to COVID because, you know, they ask you about, do you jump out of airplanes? Do you smoke? You know, all these things rate your life insurance policy. Shockingly, There was no question about the jab on the life insurance application. So that told me the federal government is underwriting the life insurance company so that they don't let this out to the public. All right, we'll go to the next slide, Don. So the conclusion of big business. Our government can't directly control us because we have a constitution. So it uses big businesses. So think about would Target or Anheuser-Busch have made such stupid marketing blunders as we saw over the last few months, if we really had a free market. All right, let's go to the next player, Don, the surprising churches. All right, I've researched churches maybe more than any other avenue because I was shocked when when I... uh, realized that the church, the church that we were involved with, the pastor didn't support us. And so I started digging into what is going on, and I found a lot of nefarious things. So let's go to the next slide, Don. So the FEMA training of pastors, this was a biggie. So up to 100,000 pastors are trained by FEMA to round up, they call it a roundup, round up their congregations in the event of a federal declared emergency. So this is, you know, this idea Um, history is repeating itself. And so you see the Diedrich Bonhoeffer quote, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. So he's one of the few pastors during World War II who spoke up and he lost his life because of speaking up. What happened during World War II is the silence of the Jewish leaders and the Christian pastors of the time led the Jews to the gas chambers. And that is happening again today and it's happening in real time across the world, but mainly in the United States. Let's go to the next slide. So what did these churches do during COVID? You know, a church should have stood their ground and instead they look at Romans 13 and get a real wimpy watered down view. Well, we got to obey the government. Well, that isn't what Romans 13 is about at all. We are supposed to stand against evil. And when the government is, on the non evil side. Of course, we're supposed to respect and obey the government. But when the government turns evil, which shutting down churches, having us wear masks, mandating the jab, all these things are evil. Those are things that we are called to stand against. But instead, a whole number of churches closed their doors. And on top of that got paid to do it by the federal government. All right, let's go to the next slide Don. So What's my conclusion on churches? Uh, Separation of church and state, along with the Christian seminary funding by the Rockefellers, again, this will be in the show notes, has changed the landscape in recognizing and fighting spiritual warfare. When pastors water down the truth of Romans 13 and 14, the people don't see the need for repentance and become sheep being led to the slaughter. It's critical that we understand the need for repentance. That's what God is calling us to do right now. That is going to be one of the main subjects of the the last part in the seven part series. All right, let's go to the next slide, Don. So our last culprit is controlled opposition. Uh, we'll go to the next one. We're going to have two clips here. I've got a couple of examples. So let's do the first one, Don. This is the. David Martin clip and so when you listen to this clip i want you to realize what he's saying he's saying that big pharma can continue if they assume 100% product liability they are already in bed with the only one who can play sheriff we cannot contract morality this cannot continue at all period but he's claiming remember when i i put controlled opposition question mark i'm just sharing these examples i'm not saying Either of these men that I'm talking about here are controlled opposition because I don't know their hearts, but these type of things are are being sold to our population. And you really have to have a keen ear to realize that this is simply not true. So we'll play the David Martin one, then we'll come back and I'm going to introduce the next one. Go ahead, Don.
3: So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain-of-function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much.
0: So just think that through, unless they assume 100% product liability, how would that ever be done given the state legislators protect big pharma? And I mean, you can't get these people. So again, I I don't want you to look at that as anything but um, a lie to keep us in this paradigm that we need to continue with the same system. All right, the next one is attorney Tom Renz. He's asking Congress to investigate these hospital murders. So this is the same con the same Congress who on November 14th of 86 passed the national childhood vaccine injury act. All right. Remember they're in on this. So how can you have the people in on it? Investigate the investigate themselves. It doesn't make any sense. All right. Go ahead and play that clip, please. Don.
3: I guarantee you, you can find big Pharma's hand in every step of this, every step. And I wanna know when we're gonna have true congressional investigations into the mass murder that occurred in these hospitals.
0: All right, then the next one, let's go to the next slide. This one just came out. You can see the date was September 11th. This just came out. I mean, this was a shocker to me. And the link, you can read the whole article. So this sounds great. Look at the title uh, that this man, Dr. Mike Yeadon is calling out big pharma that this is what they did is intentional mass murder it's like wow this is a great title and when you know what his pedigree is he was a vice president for pfizer so i think wow this is great until you read the article because in the article he is still bought into the vaccine narrative the vaccine lie so he said the problem here is that they didn't spend the five to six years in doing the testing which you know RFK Jr. has come out through his research and exposed that no vaccine has ever been tested. So, I mean, this is just another, what I see as a controlled opposition, you know, from their work, not necessarily the person, because I don't know the person. All right, so let's go to the conclusion slide for this one, Don. All right, the apparent and controlled opposition seems to be setting up for an amnesty play. I've been seeing this for months. I really think that that's what they're going to do to try to... Um, not hold anybody to account for the whole COVID psyop. So they keep us focused on the COVID psyop, while even worse evil is being unrolled without the same exposure. So COVID keeps being in the news. We keep seeing a race to expose the evil of COVID. And I see controlled opposition's purpose uh, is to set up amnesty. So then we can they can convince us first they convince us legislatively that covid was over but then they can convince us okay we dealt with this we know it was a mistake we screwed up we're going to pay everybody who was impacted by it and let's move on all right we'll go to the last slide i'm just going to introduce next week's topic so we're again the the overall title medical murder is the number one cause of death in the united states by design people are too expensive which is satan's big lie so up next the what, the culture of death. So next next week will be quite a bit shorter than this week, but I wanted to do um, this longer one because to introduce all the players involved and then you see, okay, well, what is this culture of death that they've all bought into? Thanks for joining me today.